0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. God visits all of us from time to time,
1: personally, comes to us personally through His Spirit, and He knocks on the door of our life. And if we give entrance to Him and we receive the day of our visitation, He blesses us. But if we reject Him, we walk into darkness every single time, every time. So it's important that as individuals, we receive His visitations. And as a nation, we receive His visitation.
0: In your faith journey, what do you do when God is knocking on your door? When you know that He is calling you to something and you hear His voice, do you follow what He says? In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to experience all of the glorious things that God has in store for you, always do what He says no amount of knowledge or planning will ever compete with God's plan. Transform your life like never before by putting God in the driver's seat. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark chapter 13 as he begins his message, Jesus' Startling Future Prediction.
1: All right. Now, we're going to get into the book of Mark, and I'm going to share with you out of Mark chapter 13. And we're going to dive right in because it's really good stuff. It's eye-opening stuff. Jesus is not only the greatest philosopher in the history of the world, but he's the greatest prophet. He's the prophet of prophets. Though they were all 100% accurate, Jesus is the one who raised up the prophets. And he's the one who put the word into the prophets' mouths. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God amen? We're going to talk about the end times. And let's look at Mark 13, first four verses, then we'll dive right in. As he was leaving the temple, and by the way, for the last time, he never entered the temple again. One of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Now, that's a mind blower. Every one of them is going to be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately, and they asked him, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is a prophetic word in your word And that Jesus saw down the tunnel of time to the end of days. And Lord, we thank you for arming us with that word and with that knowledge so that these times don't take us unaware. Open our eyes. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what Jesus is saying. Now, can you say with me, Lord, I receive your word with meekness. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus didn't really answer in the book of Mark. He didn't answer the first question. He answered the second one. The second one being, what what are going to be the signs of the end? What are the signs of the end? Because Jesus had had made a mind-blowing statement. He pointed to the temple that they were bragging on, and it was a magnificent temple. Remember, it was begun by Ezra way back in the Old Testament and carried all the way through to the days of Herod the Great, the same Herod that slaughtered all of the male children two years old and under, that Herod. And Herod had finished out the temple, and it was one of the wonders of the world, magnificent. Just the size of the stones that were involved, that even a modern-day crane could not carry them, could not pick them up, could not hoist them. They were huge, like the pyramids. We don't know how they carried them there. We don't know how they were laid down. They didn't need any mortar. They were so huge and they fit into place. They were were beautiful, uh, beautiful in color. It was a magnificent structure. And Jesus pointed to this and said, not one stone is going to be left on another. And they just couldn't get a hold of that. It was an amazing prediction. Now, around 70 AD, it all took place. Uh, Titus and the Romans and the Jews came into conflict and Jerusalem was leveled. And that temple was completely dismantled beyond all ability to foresee this in the natural or even imagine it, it was dismantled. And the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the world. And there they remained until 1948 when Israel became a nation again. Moses predicted their scattering. And he said, the day is gonna come when you lay your head down at night, you're gonna wish it were morning. And when you wake up in the morning, you're gonna wish it were night. So painful is going to be your existence. They were a people without a land, a people without a home, scattered, persecuted, throughout history, everywhere they went, persecuted, mocked, ridiculed, shunned the Jewish people. Why did that happen? Jesus said, because you knew not or received not the day of your visitation. God visits all of us from time to time, personally, comes to us personally through his spirit and he knocks on the door of our life. And if we give entrance to him and we receive the day of our visitation, he blesses us. But if we reject him, we walk into darkness every single time, every time. So it's important that as individuals, we receive his visitations. And as a nation, we receive his visitation. Nobody could have imagined this would happen to the Jews just a few decades after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, but it did. Just like he said, not one stone was left on another. Now, if he was so accurate with that, don't you think we can pretty much rest on his accuracy in the rest of what he said about the end of time? And that's just one example. And so we looked at this and he said, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes in many places. And he said, that's not the end. That's just the beginning of sorrows. Nation is going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Dad is going to betray son. Mother is going to betray daughter. There is going to be great uh, uh, tribulation, not the great tribulation, but great trouble on the earth leading up to the end. He said you're going to see these things taking place. These are general signs that are the beginning of birth pangs. Just the beginning. And we're certainly seeing them, seeing them even in our own generation as a baby boomer. You know, I've seen you know been around and seen a lot of wars in my short lifetime. And before me, World War II, World War I, the Korean War, all kinds of wars that have rocked the world. Just since I've been around, or just barely before. Jesus said that's the beginning of birth pangs, but it's not the sign of the end. Mark records that Jesus talked about a the sign, a one sign, a certain sign, that when you see it take place, you can know for sure he is at the door. And I gotta tell you folks, when you look out there and you read the paper, if you know anything about Bible prophecy, you just read the paper and watch the news. It's like reading the Old and New Testament. It's coming to pass. And the sign is the abomination of desolation. Now Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved, remain under, is what uh, endures means. And let's take a look at now, according to David B. Barrett in his book, Today's Martyrs, the sign of his coming and the end of the age. What is the sign? The sign is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet. Now I want to quote Daniel and let's look at what Daniel said. So when you see the abomination of desolation, well, this is Jesus' words, then we'll look at Daniel's prophecy. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, Jesus said, standing where it ought not, now follow carefully, Jesus' mention of the abomination of desolation is taken from Daniel 11.31. Now here is what Daniel 11.31 says. They shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Now follow carefully. This is Daniel, centuries before Jesus. And he coins this phrase, abomination of desolation. Now this describes a complete desecration of the temple. This happened following Daniel's prophecy in the time between the Old and New Testaments. It happened once when Antiochus Epiphanes, well, there's a name. How do you come up with a short name for that? Hey, uh, Anti. hey, Epiph. But his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he desecrated the temple in Jerusalem in a horrible way after Daniel predicted this. He desecrated the temple by offering swine's flesh on the great altar and by setting up public brothels in the sacred courts. Can you imagine that? Here's where the Shekinah glory showed up in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and swine, bacon, ham, pig meat was forbidden to these people, forbidden to the Jewish people. So what did he do? He walked into the temple and he offered swine's flesh on the great altar and by and set up public brothels in the sacred courts before the very holy place itself. He set up a great statue of the Olympian Zeus and ordered the Jews to worship it. Now, as bad as this was, it did not completely, and follow this carefully, this is really important. It did not completely fulfill the prediction of the abomination of desolation because Jesus said these words long after Antiochus had done this. Jesus said, you need to watch for an abomination of desolation. And he said that way after Antiochus Epiphanes had gone in and offered swine flesh and set up the brothels in the sanctuary or in the courts of the temple. So Jesus was not looking back. He was still looking forward to this event. Now the Hebrew word translated abomination in Daniel eleven thirty one has the idea of a filthy disgusting idol. Okay. But it's more than just an idol. First, it's an idol set in the holy place. Now, you know, you and I, when we hear the holy place, we don't really, that doesn't do to us what it did to the Jewish people. But this was such a holy place that when the priest would go in to make the annual sacrifice for sin, they would tie a cord to his ankle so that if he went in there and did the wrong thing or said the wrong thing and God struck him dead, they could drag him out by the cord so that they wouldn't have to go in and risk their own life to go into the presence of God, the Shekinah presence that was there in the Holy of Holies. It was into there, Antiochus brought swine a mockery of God's word, a mockery of the God of the Hebrews, and set it there. And then this temple, or this idol of Zeus, and he took it in there. And so, very, very serious here. Jesus said it's more than an idol. First, it's an idol set in the holy place of the temple in Jerusalem, standing where it ought not. And as Matthew puts it, standing in the holy place. Second, It's a filthy, disgusting idol that brings desolation. It's called the abomination of desolation. Desolation meaning nothing and no one remains in the temple. It brings the complete and total devastating judgment of God when this happens. It's important to point out that this is not merely an idol uh, set in the Jewish temple, Passages like Jeremiah 730 and other passages describe abominable idols in the temple, but they are not the abomination that brings desolation. That's what Jesus had to watch for. Again, something like the abomination of desolation almost happened again in 40 AD when Caligula, you've heard that name, was the emperor of Rome. He was crazy, baby, and totally depraved. And Caligula was a madman, decided to set up a statue of himself in the holy place of the temple of Jerusalem. He set the statue, or he sent the statue by ship, and on its way down to Jerusalem, he died before it arrived, and it was never set up. Or it would have been an abomination of desolation again. Another idol in there. Essentially, here's what we're talking about. The abomination of desolation speaks of the ultimate desecration of a Jewish temple an idolatrous image in the holy place itself, which will inevitably result in the judgment of God. It is the abomination that brings desolation. It has not happened yet. Not what Jesus was talking about. It's still future. The abomination of desolation is the object of religious nausea and loathing, who has to do with desolation, one commentator wrote. The Hebrew expression used in Daniel describes an abomination so detestable, it causes the temple to be abandoned by the people of God and provokes desolation. Now, believe it or not, Paul the apostle chimed in on this in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verses three and four. Here's what he said. Pay close attention. Now we're getting to where it matters to you and me. He said, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. So that, watch this, he sits as God in the temple of God Showing himself that he is God or stating that he is God. Now, Paul says by the Spirit of God in the New Testament, way back 21 centuries ago, he said, Here's what's going to happen the end of time is not going to come until a man, not an it, not a thing, it's not neuter, it's a man, Anthropos, a man, walks into the temple, sits in the holy place, and says, I am God. That man is the Antichrist. That is the abomination of desolation. Daniel 12, 11 gives additional insight. From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days until the end. Now, let me make this simple for you. When this sign is set up, the end can be determined. When this happens, the end of time as we know it can be marked down and checked off. It is almost three and one half years to go before the triumphant return of Jesus to this earth in the second coming. When the Antichrist sits down in the temple of God and says, I am God, there will be three and a half years before Jesus splits the sky, lands on the Mount of Olives, it divides in half and he takes over the world, ushers in the millennial kingdom and rules the world with a righteous scepter and it is not a vote. He's not Democrat, he's not Republican, he is not a politician, he's a king and he's gonna come back to lead. Then we will have peace and only then we'll have peace. Now, I want to show you, this goes all the way back in the belief system of the church. Look at this. The early Christian writer named Irenaeus wrote about this in the late second century. Look what he said, quote, But when this Antichrist shall have devastated all things in this world, he will reign for three years and six months and sit in the temple at Jerusalem. And then the Lord will come from heaven in the clouds, in the glory of the Father, sending this man and those who follow him into the lake of fire, but bringing in for the righteous the times of the kingdom. And he wrote that 19 centuries ago. This is not a new revelation that Tim LaHaye came up with for his book series. This goes all the way back to the belief system of the early Christians. They knew this was coming. Let's go on. When Jesus describes the abomination of desolation, there is the presupposition, very important here, there is the presupposition of an operating temple in Jerusalem. It's got to be there. How can there be an abomination of desolation if there's no temple? It's got to be there. You can't have it without a temple. For centuries, there was only a small Jewish presence in Judea and Jerusalem. Their presence in the region was definite and continuous, but small. It's unthinkable that this weak Jewish presence could rebuild a temple. Therefore, the fulfillment of this prophecy was very unlikely until Israel was gathered as a nation again in 1948. And if you were alive then and you knew Bible prophecy, you didn't come out of your room for weeks. This was huge, okay? The restoration of a nation that the world had not seen for more than 2,000 years is a remarkable event in the fulfillment and future fulfillment of prophecy. One of the more fascinating developments in recent history is the focus of Jewish and Arab conflict over the Temple Mount, where a rebuilt temple must stand. There is a small but dedicated group of Jews right now who are passionately committed to rebuilding the temple. Now, I don't know how it's gonna happen. I don't know who's gonna orchestrate it, but if you ever open up the morning news or the Startlegram, And you see in there that something has happened and the temple is being rebuilt, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. And it will come, it'll come. Now today you can visit what's called the Temple Institute in the Jewish quarter of the old city in Jerusalem. And there a group of Jews absolutely dedicated to rebuilding the temple, attempt to educate the public and raise awareness for a new temple. They're trying to replicate everything they can for a new temple down to the specific pots and pans used for sacrifice. Israel is a nation again, amen? Amen. And efforts to rebuild the temple are real. The main Jewish group leading the charge to rebuild the temple is an organization called Faithful of the Temple Mount who say they will continue their efforts to reestablish the Jewish temple on the mount. One leader of the group said, we shall continue our struggle until the Israeli flag is flying from the Dome of the Rock. Woo! In Israel, there are students being trained for the priesthood right now. Learning how to conduct animal sacrifices in the rebuilt temple right now, being trained. Rightly, Christians get excited when they see efforts to rebuild the temple. At the same time, you got to understand that the impulse behind the desire to have a place to sacrifice for sin, rebuilding the temple, is not the will of God because God's already sacrificed for our sin. He already sent Jesus to sacrifice, and and, and he's the once for all, one and only, never need to be sacrificed again, shed blood. So their desire to do this is a statement of unbelief in who Jesus was, but it doesn't matter because God's already prophesied, God's already told us this is going to happen. Christians believe that all sacrifice for sin was finished at the cross. Any further sacrifice for sin is an offense to God because it denies the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen. Now, these words of Jesus have led some to believe that all Christians, the church as a whole, will go through this time known as the Great Tribulation. And this warning must be for us. But Jesus promised to catch his people up from the earth and meet them in the air. Did you know that that's there? It's in first, I I preach it at every funeral I ever do. I mean, I preach it all the time, but you can't do a funeral without preaching this. Because who you're burying, if they were believers, they're coming out. And so, and uh, he told us to pray. Jesus told us to pray that we would be counted worthy to escape this time and promise to keep his faithful from the time of judgment that would come upon the earth. He promised that. Jesus gave this warning primarily, I believe, as a specific amazing prophecy of events thousands of years before they happened. So the Jewish people during the days of the abomination of desolation would have a unique powerful witness to Jesus and His Word.
0: In your journey with Jesus, how do you treat His temple? Whether it's your physical church, your body, or your spirit, how do you take care of God's house in your life? Today from Pastor Jeff, we learn the true meaning of being a vessel for the work of Jesus. When you accept Him into your life, it's not just a relationship but instead a reflection of Jesus for the whole world to see. Never cease being an ambassador for Christ in everything you do. We'd love for you to have additional resources. Here's Diane with more. For more teachings and information about this ministry, we encourage you to check out hardwired.org. Pastor Jeff Wickwire has many more messages there. You'll find them under the audio tab. This will surely help you be encouraged in the word. Once again, that's hardwired.org. We want to invite you to come back again next time for another teaching from Pastor Jeff. Daniel has more on that, giving you something to look forward to. Whether you're a Christian or not, the fate of our world can make us uneasy. When we look at where things are headed, it's usually concerning. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to be assured in where you stand in eternity, give your life to the Lord. You'll never be able to save yourself. Only God's perfect grace will deliver you from the pain and suffering that this world has in store for you. Give the keys to God and be saved. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of Mark right here on Hardwired.